are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Goldcast.io for running your virtual event. They've got 200 customers are doing 500,000 a month in revenue. That's up from 250,000 a month just a year ago. They got their $28 million Series A done back in September 2022 at $120 million post money valuation call it. They sold 20, 23% of the company. Now 110 folks on the team as they look to scale. Again, 200 customers today charging on average 30,000 bucks per year, focusing on B2B brands. Hey, folks, my guest today is Palash Tony. He's a Goldcast co-founder and CEO. He got his first days of entrepreneurship charging kids from the neighborhood hourly to play video games on a secondhand console. He's always been fascinated by legacy companies like Microsoft, Verizon, and Disney that ex- excelled at identifying and writing long-term trends while building resilience. Now he's building a digital events platform for B2B marketers called Goldcast.io. Palash, you ready to take us to the top? I'm lit and excited. All right. Tell us the story of one of your customers and why they pay you. Yeah, Nathan. So one of our largest customers is GitHub. And they started with us in uh, in May of 2020. And uh, they started with us doing an event series in, in Europe for one of their you know new product launches. So they did an, an event series throughout the year for 2013 events. And now they have around 30 teams using us, mostly marketing teams doing a variety of marketing events, right? Like product launches or, or demand gen events or events with enterprise customers. And that's what typical use cases look like, right? Like marketing teams of different types use, using us to do events with their customers, prospects, to serve a variety of marketing event use cases. That's awesome. Now, just to be clear, are you, I mean, is this sort of in the Hopin, Visibo, VFair sort of world or are you, would you say you're different? Uh, fundamentally, it looks like that. Yes. But our focus is more in the niche of B2B marketing teams. So we only go after B2B marketing teams and we are more agile in the way that we can serve the small, you know, 30 to 40 person webinars all the way up to, you know, bigger multi-day, multi-track conferences. We don't go after like the big, you know, 50,000, 100,000 person trade shows, which is what, you know, VFairs hop in specialized in. We don't do like very complex ticketing and stuff because that's what not, you know, B2B marketers are looking for. They're typically looking for, you know, 30 to 5,000. That's where, you know, the B2B marketing use cases lie. And that makes a lot of difference in how our UX is, how our technology is, how our, you know, everything is and how easy the product is to use. That's awesome. Now you work with some of the biggest brands in SaaS, Drift, GitHub, Autodesk, Sixth Sense, Hootsuite, User Testing, Zora, Sendoso. You've got a bunch of them on your website here. Helping me understand on average, what are companies paying per month or per year to use the technology? Uh, $30,000. Okay. And how do you upsell? Is it number of attendees, number of seats or something else? Yeah. Since the last time we have spoken, Nathan, it has changed. Now we charge based on number of teams that companies use. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Cause last time you upsold, what did you tell me? You said you upsell against number of uh, attendees and features, yes, but now it's just, now it's yes. just teams. Yes. Interesting. And when we last spoke, you told me you had about 110 customers. Where are you today? 200. 
200. Okay, great. And I remember you telling me on that episode, this was back January, March. This was back in April of, of last year. You said you were raising a 20 million series A come September. It looks like you got that closed a 28 million series A. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Okay. That's yeah. awesome. There's the first time you announced that you were doing it on the show or had you already sort of started the process? So we had started the process, Nathan. We had just started it that time. That's awesome. Well, congrats on getting it done. Are you comfortable sharing the valuation you raised at? Yeah, Nathan, absolutely. We raised it at 120 post money. And did that feel fair to you at the time? It did, Nathan. It did. And I'm glad we raised it at that valuation because it puts us in a very nice spot at this point where we are not overvalued as much and we can put money you know, in the right places. We don't have immense pressure to grow and we are growing very well. We we can you know grow at a decent space and and put money in the right places and so what is mrr today we are at five north of 500k 500,000 a month that's more than double from exactly a year ago when you were at 250,000 a month so congrats on the growth how are you winning deals over hopping and some of other players yeah Nathan, it's uh it's honestly just our focus on the persona, right? So our product is honestly the best in the market if you are a B2B marketer. And it, it shines in in three ways. One is that it is the most brandable, right? So if you are a Sixth Sense, our product does look exactly like Sixth Sense. Or if you're an LG, it looks like LG. Second is it is very adaptable to your strategy, right? So if you are doing webinars or if you're doing multi-day events or if you're doing even field events you can you know you can use goalcast and that creates a lot of advantage for teams because you can centralize your data you can use the same product for the entire team and it's just easy you can you know save a lot of money by doing you know using the same product and the same you know license the third is that our integrations and analytics and all the martech functionalities that you know the sales and marketing teams need they are just the best in the market, 10x better than what you know horizontal platforms like Hopin, et cetera, offer. And they are very appealing to the marketing team, especially marketing ops, who are the key stakeholders in all of those deals. And they all of these things really resonate with them. So how do you manage growth now moving forward? How much are you burning net burn per month, would you say? Our net burn per month, uh, Nathan, is somewhere between... 600 to a million so it's still high but you sort of smile you sort of smile when you say that a little bit why do you why yes. do you smile uh it is still high Nathan I would say it's still high it is still COVID at a burn I would say uh, and we are very cognizant of it trying to bring it down I mean but it sounds like I mean you probably still have what probably more than 22 23 million in the bank from your series a right yeah very correct yeah yeah I mean so you've got 24 plus months of runway right we do. We do. We easily have at least two plus years of funding. And what do you think you'll grow ARR to by the end of this year, 2023? We will easily cross 10 million by end of this year. And um, and hopefully we can double next year as well. And what's the growth strategy? You went from 110 customers to 200 over the past 12 months. How do you go from 200 to 300? Yeah, Nathan. So right now our focus is very much go after large enterprises in tech so the likes of lg adobe etc right who we already where we already have non-trivial traction and then we are seeing success in non-tech b2b as well right where the go-to-market motion is the same just that their stack is a little different right so they'll use 
Lexus, Nexus instead of Salesforce, for example, right? So law firms, accounting firms, and things like that. So our goal is to very much go after them. And the motion there is very outbound, right? And um, event heavy, actually, which is our core, you know, strength. So that's our strategy. And in in our core market, cash cow starts right now, which is B2B mid-market tech, we already get a lot of inbound. So that market, I think, is set and will keep on giving us the baseline growth. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question. Like I, I get invited to these like virtual summits all the time. And it's like two days and a hundred speakers. And I get it. The event organizers want as many speakers to get the list as big as possible. But what happens is you go on this and the first session has like a thousand people. Three hours in, you've got like five people on, right? People, no one's going to sit in front of a computer for two days and just watch your streaming event. So like, first off, is that accurate? You have the data. And if it is accurate, what would you tell event organizers in terms of how to plan a virtual event to maximize live eyeballs? Yeah, for sure, Nathan. So digital events are just like any other marketing tool, right? It depends on how you use it, right? You can, similar to how you can bundle up a digital event, you can bundle up ads or any other medium, right? So our our suggestion to event organizers is always to do what, you know, is right for our audience. And seldom is a big two-day, three-day event with, you know, such a complex agenda in digital mode is the right thing to do, unless you are, you know, something like an LG or Adobe, right, where you have such a wide audience across time zones that it means something to you. So typically we suggest something like a, you know, two to four or five hours with, you know, punchy sessions and, and, um, and there is a whole marketing strategy that needs to go behind it. So there's like a full playbook that we publish and we have published multiple playbooks. And it also needs to tie in with your marketing strategy, right? So a digital event cannot be just like a tentpole in-person conference, right? Where it's a thing of its own and, and people are traveling just to have drinks or something, right? It needs to be part of a big campaign, right? Either there's a there is a big piece of content that you've released or a playbook that you've released or a product that has been launched and this is part of that. And that's where digital events are so powerful, right? Because they can be very repeatable, they can be very measurable, they can be um, very tied into what else you are doing in marketing. So I don't know if it answered your question, but it really depends on what the marketer is doing. But Seldom is what you described as the right answer. <laughs> yeah, what I just heard you say is if yes. you're a B2B SaaS company and you're looking at your own online event like Amplitude or Toast or Drift, Sales Loft, try and do like a four to five hour, one day session, do sm- quick sessions, 15 to 20 minutes per speaker and get in 30 speakers because then they'll all promote. That's the best way to do this and hold attention. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Exactly. What's the most creative thing you've seen one of your event organizers do in terms of just driving a lot of engagement or driving sales? Driving sales through event? Yeah. I think even a lot of what you know people get out of event is determined by what they do before the event, right? And the most creative thing that people do before the event I've seen is, is this company called Metadata, right? So they what they do is they will do a bunch of like very planned gimmicks before the event. So every week they'll have a new gimmick, right? They'll be like, oh, you know, if the first thousand people who register will get a, you know, one, 10 people of them will get a trip to Hawaii. So they generate a lot of momentum that way then they'll say okay the next thousand people who will register will probably get um you know this real like really quirky piece of swag and they'll do a lot of like these gimmicks that people don't expect to do in a digital event right and they 
for a company of that size, they generate a ton of traction and a lot of engagement in those events. So uh, we also did a case study on them. That's <laughs> amazing. Where can, where can we read the case study? It's on the website. I'll share the link. Is it under under the customer tab? I, yeah, it should be. Yeah. Uh, and was it? This is Gil Alush at Metadata, right? Yes. Okay, I can't find the link right now, but you'll send it to me. I'm on your website. But you'll send it to me. Okay. Yeah. okay, great. Um, very cool. And then um, this is interesting. Okay, let me ask you another question. A lot of people, when they do a live event, right in person. They don't want to also do it virtually because they're scared people then won't pay for the in-person ticket and they want to fill seats at the in-person event. How would yeah. you, for someone with that concern, i.e. me with SaaS Open, how would you recommend we we ta- you know, tackle that challenge? Yeah. <laughs> so there's no straight answer, Nathan, but what I have seen, at least in, in marketing domain, people do is that they would do some kind of gating for the in-person conference, they would get it to what they would call as high value target accounts, right? So they'll say, okay, if you are part of one of these like 500 accounts that we want to go after this year, we will allow you to come and participate in this in-person event. Otherwise, you can participate in this like huge virtual event, right? So, and we have seen a lot of people do that with pretty high success that keeps your in-person conference smaller, more targeted and high value because it's very expensive and you can still open it up uh, to a wider audience virtually. Well, Posh, what if we did like, I, I don't want to see, I don't want to limit, like if, if, if people knew as we were promoting SaaS open, which just finished last week, if they, if everyone knew there's a virtual version, a lot of them would have just said, screw it. I'll pay for the virtual ticket. I don't want to fly away to New York. Right. And we had hundreds flying from Europe. So I, I don't want to lose that traffic. I mean, have you ever had someone like, let's say the next event that we were running was January, March, it's March 20th today. Let's say it was, January, it was April 15th. Right. And we've got 110 speakers. What if two weeks before the live event, we did a virtual three hour session where each speaker who is coming flying in live shared like one slide from their presentation in over five minutes? And we just got through like 60 speakers in the virtual event two weeks before to promote the in person one. Have you seen something like that work well? We have seen versions of that, definitely. Um, And they do work. Um, Like you can use teaser virtual events to promote in-person events you can also use content from in-person events for example you can do the in-person event you can use like a, some recordings of that to to do a, a virtual event eventually right um you can do all of that i think also the, the some of the concerns of people like not coming in person to and watching it virtually are unfounded i think if given an option people will attend an in-person event, and I'm saying that as CEO of a digital events company. Um, but you know, there's still a, uh, there are a wide variety of people, and with you know, within people who prefer in-person, there are situations that you know force them to attend in digital events. And for example, just in our company, we have seen in just ten weeks the the attendance of digital events has surpassed what we saw last year in the whole year with the, you know the traction we have. So. I think overall that debate is not is is not that important to have. I think Nathan, with your kind of following, you always have too many people wanting to come, you know, in person to your events. No, I like this idea. I like this idea of doing like a pre-virtual event and then record everything live in person. And then, you know, we had 112 speakers, but there was probably like 15 that crushed it. So maybe what we do is we do yeah. a post post virtual event with the recordings, but after the recording yeah. plays, then the real the CEO who gave it, yeah, yeah, comes up live. That would work well. Yeah. Yeah, that works well. And we have quite a few of our 
um, of our customers who have done this with success. Interesting. And who's done it the best? Is our case study? So we have had LG do this recently, and uh, there was uh, Salesloft also. They did one in Atlanta, and then they did like a version of their event uh, virtually, um, and they did. They they had their speakers come in and answer questions. Like that's really interesting. They play the recording from the live thing, and then they have the speakers come in and do Q and A. Yeah. Fascinating. Can you make a lot of money selling tickets to virtual events? No, <laughs> I don't think so. And. Uh, at least in our industry, the with the way we go after, it's never seen at least by good marketers as a way to make money. It's always a way to generate demand or generate audience. Very interesting. That's super interesting. All right, what else should we know about Gold Coast that cast before we wrap up? Yeah, if you are a marketer who is looking to build audience and and you know on a great platform, that's uh, you know you should come to Goldcast.io. We are uh, we are the platform for you. And I can how, be found on LinkedIn, so please add me. <laughs> how many folks are on your team today? We have 110. 110. And how many engineers? 50. 50. That's up from 45. And how many sales reps? Uh, we have six. So oh, you cut that down. What happened? No, we had uh, we had six last time as well. Oh, you told me twelve sales employees, but six, but six carried a quota. No, six, six A. So yeah, yeah, six AEs, and then we have ten BDRs actually. So oh, I see. I see. So sixteen total on sales, six are AEs that carry a quota. Still a million dollar quota. Uh, yeah, eight hundred K. Eight hundred. Oh, you changed that a little bit, or was that different? Yes. Uh, some yeah, on average, like one odd carry higher, but it's eight hundred K on average. Very cool. I love your story. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, favorite book. Favorite book, uh, Model Animal by Robert Wright. Uh, number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Manny Medina, too. <laughs> <laughs> number three, what's your favorite online tool for building Goldcast? Online tool for building Goldcast? It's, uh, it's still Notion. Notion. I love that. You said B plug in last time. So you have an update. Last there. Time, yes. yeah. All right. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Eight. I don't compromise with that. <laughs> What's your situation? Married, single kids? Married with kids. One kid or more? One and second one coming on the way. Oh, that's very exciting. And do you have a birthday? Are you 33 now? I am 33. Yes. 33. Very cool. Last question. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. Take more risk. <laughs> Guys, Palash, goldcast.io, competing in the virtual event space. Palash, it, it isn't for in-person events, right? You don't have printers and print-off name back. It's just for virtual, right? No. We have, we have some in-person products, but we are primarily for digital events. Very cool. Guys, there you have it again, goldcast.io for running your virtual event. They have got 200 customers are doing 500,000 a month in revenue. That's up from 250,000 a month just a year ago. They got their $28 million Series A done back in September 2022 at 120 million post money valuation. Call it, they sold 20, 23% of the company. Now 110 folks on the team as they look to scale. Again, 200 customers today, charging on average 30,000 bucks per year, focusing on B2B brands. All right, Palash, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks, Aiden. Thanks a lot.